Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... With the New York Yankees on a hot streak, should they be included in the World Series contenders picture? Plus, what to watch for during the final week of the NFL preseason. And diagnosing the new alliance between the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten Conference. It's episode 37 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. It's the last Thursday of August here on Thursday, August 26th, 2021, episode 37 of Let Me Speak coming right at you. Thank you very much, everyone. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. And I mentioned last week that the Travis Kelsey story did inspire me to maybe clean my face up. And as you can see, did a little bit right there. You know, you can give me your comments after the show or whatever if you're watching visually. And it's been a pretty eventful week here in the Swamp Scout area and really New England. Obviously, it started with Hurricane Henri, which I hope everyone was safe and more importantly dry on that because it was definitely wet. Definitely wet. And then this past Tuesday, I was fortunate enough to make a special guest appearance on Right Off the Bus, another sports podcast. You can go check that out later on, but... Special thanks again to Chandler Hutchison and Pat Mahoney for letting me on, talk a little bit of NFL, getting the uh, award predictions in there. And then just last night, you know, non-sports related, I was able to go check out John Mulaney over at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, and it's a great show. It was a great show, and if you don't know John Mulaney's comedy, you should definitely go check it out, check out some of his Netflix specials, and check out you know youtube and stuff like that because this guy is very funny very very funny but of course you know no joking aside we have to get into the sports world and like i said it's the last thursday in august september is right around the corner which means the playoff chase is getting into it hot and heavy and i would say no team is hotter right now than the new york yankees i hate to say it again hate talking and praising them being from the boston area but the yankees are the hottest team right now in baseball i mean they've won 11 straight games and they've gone from a 500 team you know everyone talking about firing aaron boone and all that to now they're in the first al wild card spot and they still trail tampa bay by four and a half games in the AL East. So I still think the division is kind of out of reach for them. But in terms of what they've been doing recently, I mean, props to them because they've improved in every single facet. And you also have to remember they had some injuries too. You know, you have to you have to think about that from another standpoint is that they did have a ton of injuries, but they are back. And now they're three up on the Red Sox who are in the second wild card spot and I gotta tell you it's been an amazing turnaround I mean just looking at the series though I will say you know they haven't been fantastic teams that they've been beating you know I'd say the the best series that they they have had during this 11 game winning streak are the White Sox after the Field of Dreams game which I had talked about and then the brief two game stint against the Braves I mean the Braves aren't the hottest team out there but Still, they were they're a division leader. And if you can beat a division leader, that's ultra impressive. But I mean, 11 straight games being the White Sox, the Red Sox, the Twins, and the Braves. And I think, you know, just everything is coming together at the right time. And that offense is just so much better when they're healthy. I mean, when you look at the month of August, you've got your power hitters, Aaron Judge, hitting 306. With six homers, 17 RBIs in this month. And Giancarlo Stanton, 320, six homers as well, and 19 RBIs. And then you just have other guys 
like you know your acquisitions of Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. They've been performing well. Luke Voigt came back from injury, and he was able to perform well and still is. You got guys like Brett Gardner, DJ LeMayhew. You know, Velasquez has been a big surprise for New York, you know, just taking over the time from from Torres. And he's just been great. The, the offense has been great during the month of August, and especially during this winning streak. You know, just looking at the schedule that they've been able to put together and during this 11-game winning streak, you know, they all haven't been... They haven't been blowouts or anything like that. They're not. Very few of them have been convincing games. But still, I mean, listen to these scores. I mean, 7 to 5 in 10 innings against Chicago, 10 to 2 against Minnesota. I think this team is coming around at the right time. But more so than from the offense, the pitching has been much, much better. And that was the downside that I've said week after week about this Yankees team is that their pitching has struggled, absolutely struggled. And I had no faith in them about a couple of weeks ago saying they don't make the playoffs because their pitching is garbage, to use French words. But in the month of August, they are coming around. And Garrett Cole, this was the biggest thing for me, is that he's finally getting help in that starting rotation. He's finally getting help. You know, his other starters like Jordan Montgomery has got a 307 ERA in the month of August. Jamison Talon has got a 3.18 ERA. But more importantly, Luis Gill hasn't allowed a run in his three starts with New York and has struck out 18 batters, okay? That's the ultimate surprise that this Yankees team should be looking for, is that Garrett Cole is finally getting help, and they have a rotation behind him. I know they picked up Andrew Heaney, but he hasn't been the greatest pitcher since coming over from the Angels. But overall, as a team... In the month of August, 2.79 for an ERA. That's much better than, I want to say it was like a 4 or a 5 at one point. Really, the only guy you could trust in that starting rotation was Garrett Cole. But now, Montgomery, Talon, Giel, they're starting to come around. And they're starting to give him some backup. And I think Cole is also, you know, not taking anything away from the other guys. But Garrett Cole... He's finally coming around because he did struggle when the the sticky stuff, you know, the spider tack and all that went away. But I think he's finally adapted to that. And he's finally, you know, he's got a good grip now. He knows what he has to do. But I think more so than the starting rotation, the bullpen has made a great move. More so not because of what they've been doing on the field, but the fact that they took out a Aroldis Chapman from the closer role, I think just makes that bullpen 10 times better because Chapman is been on the struggle bus for a really long time for this Yankees team. A really long time. I mean, look at the numbers that he's had so far for this Yankees team here in 2021. You know, he's appeared in 46 games. He's 5 and 3. Yeah, that's good. He's got 23 saves, but a 3.86 ERA. It's not the dominant Aroldis Chapman that we're looking for. And so he basically took himself out and, you know, you throw in Chad Green, who's got three saves and nine appearances during this month and a 2.19 ERA in 12 and a third innings. But more importantly, Wandy Peralta, who they acquired, has got 10 appearances in 11 and two thirds innings. He's got three saves, but zero runs, zero runs. That is so important for this Yankees team. That's the ultimate acquisition that this team had to get. So if you want to stick with Chapman being sort of the setup guy, getting the hold in the 7th or the 8th inning, and then just go back and forth between these two, then go for it. But if Aaron Boone feels confident that Chapman can turn things around, he'll go back to the starting role. He'll go back to the starting role in the cl- as the closer. But I don't know if this Yankees team wants to go far away. I don't think Chapman is the guy. I don't think he's the guy to be that closer because he has struggled all year. And if you want to go with what's consistent, what's been consistent is Chad Green and Wandy Peralta. Those two together, you know, it's it's a situational kind of thing. If you feel more comfortable with Green, throw him out there. More comfortable with Peralta, go with that. But the overall question that I mentioned in the teaser was, are they World Series contenders? Are they World Series contenders? 
Because right now you have to look at the playoff situation the way things are at this moment. If the if the season were to end right now, it would be the Rays, the White Sox, the Astros, division leaders, and then the wild card spot would be the Yankees and the Red Sox. Now, I know the Red Sox have struggled, but it just takes one good game. And then on the National League side, you have the Braves, the Brewers, the Giants, followed by the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds in the wild card spot. So among those teams, if the question is that, are they World Series contenders among this this bunch? Honestly, I'm just not there yet. I'm not there to say that they will be World Series contenders. I think they make the playoffs. I think they'll definitely get the wild card spot. I just think everyone's been sleeping on Tampa for so long. I understand that they don't have the market that a Boston or a Los Angeles or a New York. But I think this next week is crucial for New York just to see if they're for real and they can really make some noise because the wild card like I said the Red Sox if they make it just need one good game and you know that no matter what the case is they will be ready for their bitter rivals from the Bronx but this next week I think is going to be so important for New York just to see if they are for real because they got four games in Oakland that starts tonight And then they've got three in Anaheim. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Angels aren't that good. Why is that important? Because they got to go against Shohei Otani on Wednesday. So this next upcoming week, even if their 11-game win streak gets snapped, you know, I don't think that's anything to worry about right now. And I know Oakland is struggling and Anaheim is struggling. So even if they drop a game and drop that streak, it's no big deal. I don't think it's a big deal, and no one should be concerned in the Bronx. But I think this team can go a long way if they win the division. If they win the division, then I think you can really put them in contenders. But the fact that there is this one-game wild-card playoff that you might have to go into if you don't win the division, I think that's where anything can happen. I mean, the Kansas City Royals went from there in the World Series in 2014. They went from the wild card to the World Series during that year. And anything can happen. And the Yankees have been in the wild card game for so long. So I think the experience might help. I would say the biggest test for the would be the season finale against Tampa in the Bronx. I think that, that will be very important. And if it's anything close, if it's close, and they win that series against Tampa then you might be able to put a little stamp on it that says they are contenders for the World Series. But, you know, there's still a whole month of baseball left to be played. The Yankees could go cold or another team could get hot. But all I know is when it comes to September, that the race for the playoffs in the MLB will be sure to get heating up. While the MLB wraps up their season, the NFL is just about to begin theirs, but they've got one more week of preseason to do, and it starts tomorrow, a couple of games on Friday, a couple on Saturday, a couple on Sunday, then everyone gets a week off, and then boom, we get right in to the NFL season. And in the upcoming weeks, I'll be diving into some predictions, how the divisions will look, possible award winners, which I did do on my appearance on Right Off the Bus, if you want to go check that out. But this week, I want to just look at some of the things you got to watch for in preseason week three. I mean, we've got the the usual stuff, you know, how do the Cowboys look? Will Dwayne Haskins be the backup for Pittsburgh and all these quarterback battles, Chicago and stuff like that. But there are some tiny things that you might want to watch for. Tiny things you might want to watch for before the regular season starts in two weeks. And the first thing you have to keep an eye on are the Patriots. And we'll talk about the Patriots a little bit more in the Let's Get Local segment, but You have to think, before their game on Sunday against the Giants, are they going to change their game plan because Cam Newton has been out because of the COVID protocols and all that? And obviously, you know, it was a a misunderstanding that Cam Newton obviously made, and that led Mac Jones to get some first-team reps. And he looked great, according to sources. Great during the joint practices with New York. He went 
trying to get the numbers right here. 35 of 40 in 11 on 11 and 7 on 7 drills, including 18 straight passes completed. I mean, I get it, it's practice, but still, that's an impressive number right there. So you have to wonder if you're Coach Belichick, do you start Mac Jones for this last preseason game just to see what he's like against possible first teamers? I understand it's the Giants and it's still the preseason, but just at least give him a chance because he's come in, you know, in the second quarter against the Eagles and then against Washington, you know, and there are a lot of, you know, second teamers. There are just a lot of second teamers and, and guys that just aren't, you know, they're still fighting for positions and stuff like that. And Mac Jones has looked great in the preseason, but you have to wonder if you're Bill Belichick, do you start giving him that those uh, first team reps? Do you give him those first team reps? Because, you know, like I said, you're facing off against second teamers and you really, you know, I, I kind of have this philosophy of until you are seen in a regular season game, then you can start to make a cement assessments and stuff like that. Like with Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, all the rookie quarterbacks, you know, until they get into a regular season game, then you can really accurately see what what it is they're great at and what they're bad at. Because practice in preseason is okay, but you can never, like, rush to any judgments, you know? That's what you do for a lot of a lot of guys. So I think Bill Belichick, if he was smart, regardless of if Cam Newton is back which he is back you know reading news from this morning he is back at Patriots practice and getting first team reps but I would love to see Mac Jones get the start for his last preseason game just to see what it is and then you can reassure Cam Newton you know this is just a precaution we're just seeing how he is against first teamers because you know what you're getting in Cam Newton you know he looked great in Philadelphia and you know what he's he did last year so you kind of know what you're getting in that point but in terms of what you want to see and if you want to make adjustments, you know, because in my mind, Cam Newton is the starter for the Patriots at this moment. But unless Mac Jones, you know, goes perfect in this game against the Giants, then I'll say, okay, maybe it's time to get on the Mac train and get Jones in this starting role. So that's one thing to watch for is this Sunday, Giants, Patriots, will Mac Jones start? But staying in the AFC East, you know, there's a there's a team that's kind of flown under the radar, not not just because not because they're playing well, but just because, you know, just because. And that's the New York Jets. And I'm already going to preface this by saying that they're not going to be a good team this year. They're going to be last in this AFC East. But you really have to think, you know, with so many injuries that they've had on defense so far, how are they going to replace that? What is Robert Sala going to do because You've got your big acquisition, Carl Lawson, ruptured his Achilles, out for the year. Vinny Curry, just figured out he had complications from a blood disorder, out for the season. Linebacker Jared Davis, left ankle injury, two months. So that's a lot of pieces to fix on your defense. And, you know, they weren't the best team to start, like I said. But now I think Robert Sala is really behind the eight ball. Because when you look at what this Jets team is made up of you know they did so much to improve their offense which I think they did I think they've got a good offensive line to protect Zach Wilson with Mekhi Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker on that left side but in terms of defense you know I think it's kind of a subpar secondary that they have right now bless Austin and Bryce Hall are their two corners and then their safeties Marcus May, Ashton Davis, LaMarcus Joyner, you know, they're not the, they're not the biggest, they're not the best, I will just say, I will just say that right away, they're not the best, but this D-line is okay, because they had Sheldon Rankins, Quinnen Williams, etc, etc, now you don't have Lawson, you don't have Curry, and you don't have Davis, that's a lot to replace, that's a lot to replace, and I think if the Jets were going to win any game this year, it was going to be defensively, because, you know, that, that was their weakness. You know, one of their many weaknesses, I should say, first off, is that they had a a good a good offense, not a great offense. Obviously, Sam Darnold struggled. But they got so much better defensively, and now, poof, all of their acquisitions are gone. So 
that's something to watch for too. How are the Jets going to be able to replace all of these pieces on defense? <coughs> Excuse me. And the third team I think you really got to watch for are the Bengals because Joe Burrow is going to see some game action. This will be his first game since the torn ACL. And a lot of people are going back and forth. They're going back and forth of, do you let Joe Burrow take a few reps against the Dolphins? Or do you protect him? And honestly, I, I don't have a problem with seeing him get out on the field. Because he's really just got to get his legs under him. Like I said, you can do this all in practice. But when you get in the game, that's when it's really going to count. That's when it's really going to count. And if he's comfortable, then... You know, you can put him in for two series because you know you know he's going to be the quarterback. But just how does he feel and how is he mentally <coughs> in terms of, you know, is that ACL injury going to get into his head? Because he has to be smart. He has to be smart and know you're just doing this to get your legs under you. You don't have to go and be Superman out there. So that's the thing you got to watch for is the comfortability of Joe, Joe Burrow in the Bengals' last preseason game against the Dolphins because it's not a bad idea to get a little action before the games really count but if that O-line is not able to protect him like they didn't last year then he's in a world of trouble he is in a world of trouble <laughs> and then the last bit of note I would say the last team but these are the last teams because they're both playing each other and they both just made some news this past week and that's the Rams and the Broncos. You know, they both made some big news. Obviously, Denver naming their starting quarterback. They're going to get Teddy Bridgewater out there. And then the Rams trading for Sony Michelle and solving. I actually wouldn't say solving. I'd say, you know, putting, you know, it's like putting duct tape over a, a frame or something just to, to keep it up or hold it for that moment. And... Starting with Denver's side, I think they did make a good move. I think they made a good move in starting Teddy Bridgewater because this is a guy who's been pretty underrated pretty much since his Minnesota days. Since his Minnesota days, he had that really bad injury, and then he's just bounced all around, started in Carolina. He played good in Carolina. And I think Denver, you know, I think they've got an underrated offense. It's not going to be a great offense. But I think they're very underrated with the kind of pieces that they have. And Teddy Bridgewater, again, he's not the greatest quarterback out there, but he's the most accurate. You know, his completion, his completion percentage while he was with Carolina last year was one of the tops when he was playing in the in the in the league. But I think again, he's underrated. And if Denver wants to make any kind of strides, you know, Drew Locke was essentially rushed into his role. He was rushed into it after he got drafted in 2019, and last year he struggled. The couple of games in 2019, his rookie year, he struggled, and he kind of got forced into it. If he just takes some time, you know, learns from some veterans, and understands the sideline aspect of this, then he can be better for the future. He could be better for the future, possibly, just possibly, but I think in this immediate moment, Teddy Bridgewater is the right choice to be Denver's starting quarterback. And then on the other side of the field, I mentioned the Rams picking up Sony Michelle. Obviously, they needed to get an upgrade at running back because they lost Cam Akers for the year. And, you know, Matthew Stafford is just getting loaded with weapons right now on offense. And I think the Rams are the division favorites. And Sony Michelle is a good running back. You know, I think similar to how Bridgewater was underrated, I think Michelle is underrated because, yeah, he had some injury problems last year with the Patriots. But remember that postseason run when the Patriots won the Super Bowl? Six touchdowns in three preseason games. Six touchdowns, all rushing. And he was the difference maker against the team he's now on in the Super Bowl. He scored that lone touchdown. And I think he's, he's good on, on yards. He was one of the best in yards per carry. I think this is a good pickup. I think it's a good pickup. But just looking at this preseason game, how is he going to be adjusting? Is he going to get rushed right into it? Is he going to be that starting running back? Or does he back up a little bit, maybe be a second stringer for a little bit 
and then once he gets more acclimated with the playbook and the system that Sean McVay has, then you can start running him in there. So those are the things to really watch for in preseason week three because this is the last game action you'll see before the games truly count when the regular season in two weeks gets underway. So up next, we're going to talk about some college football, and you'd think we'd be previewing the college football season because it does kick off next week. Next Thursday is the first batch of games, first week for most college football teams, but it has not been without a little bit of controversy. Obviously, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC in a few more years, and now there are reports that the Big Ten the ACC and the Pac-12 are sort of uniting to stabilize the environment of the NCAA. I don't know what that means, but I figure it's a great subject for this week's edition of one of our favorite segments known as Hot Takes. Oh, hot, 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 So essentially, the quote, the quote that was given out by the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 commissioner this past Tuesday was that the alliance will stabilize a volatile environment throughout college athletics by collaborating on weighty issues facing the industry and agreeing to create a future scheduling partnership. Now, it says that it will start for football and basketball, both the men and the women's side, uh, once they are able to. But honestly, this is... It's just crazy what's going on in the NCAA. And it was all started by the ruling that college athletes can make money. They can profit off their name, image, and likeness. And essentially what's going on in this moment is that really, it's just insane. It's insane going on right now. You have locker rooms where athletes are making less than other student-athletes. You have conferences that really don't know how to take this in terms of sh- shelling out their money and stuff like that. It's just, it's so hard, at least for me, to like wrap my head around a definitive answer to what goes on. Because ultimately, it's basically like a professional league. If you see all these conferences coming together, you see Texas and Oklahoma going to another conference for some more competition. Then you have these three conferences coming together in terms of creating, you know, scheduling and stuff like that. I ultimately think this is going to lead to just one big mega conference because what's going on right now is essentially the SEC versus everyone. You know, when you look at it from the college football standpoint, you know, the SEC is probably the best conference out there. Not only are they well run, but they have the best teams. You know, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Auburn, all these teams who are always, you know, successful and stuff like that. And then you get the Big Ten. You know, they've got their players. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. They have their sort of pieces too. And it's essentially, you know, these three conferences are looking at each other. You know, the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 are saying, wow, the SEC has been dominating us for years and years now. Let's try and come together and try to take them down. Because that's really what it is, is that... It's going to come down to all these other conferences versus the SEC because the SEC has been dominating the college sports landscape for years now, for years. And the fact that these conferences are coming together and that the SEC is still by themselves and they're just only adding two other teams, you know, that's showing me how much power and influence that is going on right now that's what's going on right now is that it's everyone versus the sec because when you you think about it you know the ncaa like i've said in the past is just they're falling apart they're absolutely falling apart they lost the name image and likeness thing now all these conferences are coming together you know, what it, What happens to the, the lower conferences then or something like that? What happens to the American conference? I know UConn is a part of that. 
and all these just like smaller, you know, all these all all these smaller conferences. What happens to them? Do they just become independents? Are they still competitive? You know, because Notre Dame has been an independent team and an independent school for so long. Now with all these partnerships and stuff like that. They're ultimately saying that, you know, it's time for us to join a conference because obviously they had to do it because of COVID last year. But just it, it's the Wild West out there, essentially. It's insane what's going on in the NCAA. They are falling apart and it's almost like they're dying on their own sword because of all the decision makings and all the things that they've had to do with the, the transfer portal and with the locker room, you know, in, during the NCAA tournament a few months ago, there was the men and women's training and weight room and stuff like that. There was that controversy. And then just all of that. So it's just, it's it's crazy right now, the NCAA landscape right now. And I think, you know, these partnerships won't happen for a few more years. But it's still something to really keep an eye on. You know, nothing is set in stone right now. All we know right now is Texas and Oklahoma is joining the SEC and that these three conferences are going to come together and sort of work together, I guess. You know, they're saying that there's friction in the Power Five, you know, for all these conferences. And, you know, again, this is an alliance. It's an alliance that will be voted on later on. But I think it should be unanimous that all these conferences should come together. Because, I mean, you look at the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big 12. You know, the conference that has TCU, Oklahoma State, etc., etc. They're all going to find a way to just sort of come, not come together, but like essentially try and interweave their schedules and their partnerships and stuff like that. <coughs> and essentially... They're going to make it so that's just one big conference sort of thing. You know, maybe it gets broken out by divisions and then, you know, the playoff or something like that will adapt to it where it'll be like, I don't know, the, the top team in the division, the top team out of each division gets a bye and the other two have got to play each other or something like that. But it's really just, it's kind of chaos out there. And I I'm, I don't have like a definitive explanation or an answer to figure out like what's going to happen in the future or like what it's going to come down to. But I think there's going to be more of these alliances and stuff like that. You know, more teams are going to retreat or try to apply to go into other conferences or stuff like that. You know, pull a Texas or an Oklahoma, go from one conference to the next one. And then ultimately the NCAA, if all these movements and alliances keep going on, they have to look at themselves and say, you know, this is something we really got to look at. It's something we really got to open our eyes to. But all I know is it's a good thing that there's actually going to be some college sports going on next week, starting with the college football season, because the NCAA has been marred in controversy and maybe some game action will start to take the heat off of them. It's the usual part of the show where we got to look at our Massachusetts teams and get into our local segment. It's our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And of course, the Patriots continue to be the hot topic around the New England area. Not only just because Cam Newton, like I mentioned in the NFL segment, had to miss a few days because of COVID protocols. But the fact that the Patriots traded Sony Michelle to the Rams. And we'll dive into that a little bit more. Because Michelle, like I said, he's a great running back, but I don't think this move happens without Ramondre Stevenson absolutely going nuts in the preseason. I mean, he's had a great preseason, and he's shown he can be a reliable running back. And now when you look at that running back group, you know, you have Damian Harris as your starter. You have Ramondre Stevenson, James White, and J.J. Taylor, who's kind of sneaky coming off the bench. So... I think this is one of the best running back groups in the NFL. I think this running game 
was so good for New England last year that it kind of gets overlooked because everyone wants to look at the passing game. They want to see that kind of improvement, but this running game is going to be absolutely phenomenal for the Pats. Like it was last year, it will be this year because you've got your number one guy in Damian Harris. You can have your goal linebacker, your punch it in with Stevenson. Obviously, James White is your third down back and your pass catching running back. And then, you know, if you need a little bit more depth, you know, because Bill Belichick loves having the depth in the running back committee. You bring J.J. Taylor, who had a great game, I might add, against the Eagles. And he's really someone to, to watch out for. He could be a little spark plug, possibly, in the James White situation for the future. Because he's been on this team long enough, and he just hasn't gotten enough game action out there. And now this could be his chance to break through. But in terms of other positions, I mean, it's pretty much the same. You know, with the quarterback competition, wide receivers, tight ends. You know, obviously the defense remains about keeping... Stephon Gilmore happy and getting him on that field. So I don't know why Bill Belichick hasn't made a move to get Gilmore on the field, but they better do that before their first game in two weeks. But obviously the quarterback competition is the biggest thing to watch for. And last week against the Eagles, everyone's saying it was Cam Newton's best game. Everyone's saying it was Mac Jones's best game. These are some second teamers against Philly. So I don't think it moves the needle just yet. Like I said, I'd love to see Mac Jones start against this Giants team just to see how he sets the mood, how he sets the tone going right out, you know, being the sort of starter if he was to be labeled. But I think still right now, as I said, Cam Newton is the starter for this Patriots team. I think Belichick is going with what he knows, and what he knows is Cam Newton, obviously, He's going to have to work better on throwing the ball down the field because now he's got a bunch of weapons that can do it like Aguilar and Bourne. And then obviously you have your tight ends. And the game plan does have to be changed from time to time. I think with Newton, you get the versatility of running the read option and stuff like that. Now, do I think they're going to go every other play on the read option like they did a year ago? No, I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to see in the first couple of games if they trust Cam Newton's arm. And if he is able to make those downfield throws, then you can be comfortable going with him for a few more weeks. But eventually, Mac Jones is much closer in this competition than he was at the beginning of training camp in the preseason and stuff like that. You know, I don't think you have to rush Jones to get in this in this starting quarterback role because I think the idea is that he is the future and you don't want to waste it just yet. But I would not be surprised at all if he does get into game action later on, later on in the season. You know, I think, you know, I've kind of said this in my mind is that the week four Tampa Bay game is going to be so important, not just because, you know, Brady's returning and all of that, but is Cam Newton going to be able to make the big throws? Is he going to be able to hang with Tom Brady and stuff like that? If they get blown out, that's when the chatter is going to start. If he, if it hasn't already, you know, week four, the chat is going to start depending on whatever the result is, is, you know, saying Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. People are going to start thinking about it. They're going to start thinking and wanting Jones to get in that game. If Newton doesn't deliver in this game against Tampa, you know, that's when the chat is going to start. And then maybe a couple weeks after that, Belichick might yank it out and be able to just say, you know what? We're going to do it. We are going to do it, and we're going to put Mac Jones in the game. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. And the Pats still have one more preseason game. They'll take on the Giants, as I mentioned, this upcoming Sunday in Foxborough. But it'll be really interesting to see if Mac Jones and Cam Newton continue to have their success in the preseason that they've been having over the past couple of weeks. But a team that hasn't had much success recently are the Red Sox. And they, you know, I'm sounding like a broken record when saying they continue to struggle. But I say they continue to struggle despite the fact that over their last three games, they're 3-2. and two. The problem is, you know, they had to go 11 innings on Monday against Texas. And it took a Travis Shaw grand slam to walk it off. And then 11-9, to nine, it took Kike Hernandez to hit a home run in the 8th on his birthday to really secure things and not only that 
but you have a struggling Matt Barnes now. And Matt Barnes was one of the only reliable bullpen guys you could really trust. That's really the only thing. Because in this series against Minnesota and in the last game against Texas, the offense was doing great. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Hitting home runs and getting those RBIs. You know, 8-4, to 11-9. But last night was 9-6. to six. And the pitching is just god-awful. Again, it's gone awful again. I think, you know, it starts last night with Pavetta barely getting four innings out of there. You know, he started in the first inning. They were down 4 nothing already. And the offense was able to bail him out. But it just seems like whenever something goes right, another thing goes wrong for this Red Sox team. You know, when their pitching struggles, their offense can't score that much. And when their offense, or it's kind of like a reverse where it's like, when their offense is doing well, their pitching can't back them up. And when the pitching does well, the offense can't back them up. So it's just a reversal of fortunes. But the Red Sox were able to win the series against Texas. They've got the deciding game tonight against Minnesota. And then they go on the road to Cleveland before they head down to the Trop to take on the Rays for a four-game series. And like I said last week, these three series, Texas, Minnesota, Cleveland, they have to win them to keep their playoff chances alive. They have to. Even if they lose to Minnesota, then, you know, they're only a game and a half ahead of Oakland in that final wild card spot. Only a game and a half. And we know how Oakland is. You know, this athletics team is very inconsistent. They'll get on a hot streak, then they'll get on a cold streak. This Red Sox team needs all the wins that they can get. They need to get the wins they have to win because they've got, you know, two more series against Tampa. They have to go into Chicago to take on the White Sox. They go to Seattle. They have to host the Yankees again. You know, these series are not going to get any easier. So you have to get the series wins over the teams you know you can beat. And I think everyone knows that this Red Sox team can beat Minnesota. They can beat Texas. And they can beat Cleveland. Because I think that. Because those three ball clubs have been struggling. But the fact that the Red Sox just continue to find different ways to lose and stuff like that is just it's a little frustrating as a Red Sox fan because I think what's what's frustrating is that you know where the struggles lie and you know that it's all on upper management because they didn't make the moves at the deadline and stuff like that because really right now you have your go-to guys Barnes is struggling Josh Taylor is struggling all these guys that were reliable for you at one point are now kind of coming back down to earth and there's really no there's no alternative way to get out of it because all your other bullpen guys are struggling you know Whitlock has had his struggles and Ottavino has had his struggles Robles and all these guys have struggled so there's really no out there's no out plan stuff like that and same thing for the offense you know when you have your big hitter struggling you know there's no Bobby Dahlbeck to bail you out there's no Christian Vasquez there's no Christian Arroyo and stuff like that, you know, you, you can't really go to these guys. You can't say, you know what, we're just going to throw you in the starting lineup and keep you there to give you a spark because it's been so inconsistent, you know. I like the play of Hunter Renfro. I think he needs to be an everyday guy. I think Hernandez has to be an everyday guy. But just every everywhere else, you know, hopefully Schwarber starts showing that power that he did in Washington and in Chicago for many, many years and hopefully this Red Sox team can find some consistency during the last month of the year here in September and find a way to get into the playoffs. Find a way. Because I think right now, their best shot is that second wild card spot if the Yankees continue to play the way that they are. They're either going to face the Yankees or they're going to face the Rays, and it's not going to be an easy test. They're probably going to have to go on the road, but we'll just have to see. We'll see what this Red Sox team does to try and get themselves back in the hunt and get back on track. But the last bit of news to come out of the Boston area were a couple more extensions from the Celtics side of things. Obviously, last week we talked about Marcus Smart's extension, but now the Red Sox getting some more depth with a few more contract extensions. Robert Williams and Josh Richardson signing some extensions. Time Lord was signed to a four-year, $54 million extension, and Josh Richardson was given another year and another $12 million over on his extension now to start with rob williams i think 
it's it's not a bad move. You know, if you're doing the math roughly, it's about twelve to thirteen million dollars a year. You know, for a guy that is kind of limited on offense, but is a is a good, maybe not a great defender. You know, it's not a bad move for you know this was going to be the first extension that Williams was eligible for, and I think you know probably around the ten, the nine to ten million mark was probably a good a good margin for him. I think, you know, 12, 13 might be a little bit too much. I think it was he's now in the top half of highest paid centers and stuff like that. But this guy's 6'10. He doesn't really have an offensive game and he's not a ginormous rim protector. You know, he's not the rim protecting defender. Obviously his size obviously his size, you know, limits him a little bit, but He's been good on the alley-oops, good at the blocks and stuff like that. But he's just got to get a little bit of an outside game. If he can get an outside shot or work a little bit in the post, then I think he can get himself much better because he's still fairly young. You know, he was drafted in 2018, so this would be his, I want to say his fourth year in the league. You know, this upcoming for 2021-2022. So I think there's still room to grow. But I think, you know, if you got this kind of center, because this is essentially what the Celtics have been struggling for since they lost Al Horford, you know, the first time, is that they haven't had a rim-protecting center. And the fact that Rob Williams is kind of a rim-protecting center, you know, at least getting a semblance of that is a good thing for the Celtics team to get that depth. But then going on to Josh Richardson, you know, this doesn't guarantee that he's going to be here the whole two years. It doesn't guarantee it. That just might open up a possible trade exception heading into the following offseason in 2022. Because you have to remember, you know, before all these extensions, I think it was Brown, Tatum, and Al Horford were the only players that were under contract in 2022. And that would open the door for, you know, a max contract for a superstar like a Bradley Beal or something like that. So it's still not completely, you know, it's... We're not going to say Josh Richardson is going to be here for an extra year, you know. I think Brad Stevens is locked in on him at least for this year. But in terms of next year, you know, that still could be a trade exception on a sign-in trade or something like that. So it's not guaranteed. But I'm just wondering, you know, what is going to happen now with with the space? Because, you know, before all these extensions, there was definitely room to get a max player out there. Now you kind of have to work around it. You have to work around smart. Williams and Richardson you have to see what's going on there but I'm sure Brad Stevens has a plan hopefully we know about that plan you know he's not obviously going to come out and say yeah we're saving up to get a max player you know that's something behind closed doors that they'll be thinking of but there's definitely moves to be made for that Celtics team and we'll have to see if they pay off once the regular season gets underway in the NBA. Lastly, to end the show, as we always do, we got to look at our LOL moment of the week. And this week's moment is all about memorabilia and celebrity auctions that have kind of gone a little bit to the extreme, you know, if you know what I'm saying. But without further ado, this week's LOL moment of the week goes to Tony Hawk, the king of skateboarding, the G-Sot, the greatest skateboarder of all time. I know that was a terrible pun. But Tony Hawk had, was he did something that was a little bit head-scratching. So he paired up with Liquid Death. And if you know what Liquid Death is, it's like a, a water company or something like that. But he took signed memorabilia to a whole new level. What he's doing is he's selling skateboards. You know, he does that all the time. But this one's a little different. He's selling a hundred skateboards, but the deck of the skateboard has his own blood painted on it. Take a look at this. You know, this is a skateboard. Obviously, not in, it's not entirely blood or something like that. I at least hope it's not. But this design basically has Tony Hawk's own blood, and 
that's something you see like on TV or something like that, where someone's like, I've got a lock of this person's hair, or I've got underwear or something like that. Like, that's psycho. That's absolutely psycho. You know, I don't know anyone who would want a skateboard that has like actual blood on it. You know, it's not like Tony Hawk rode this board already and, you know, he got scraped up or something like that and it was a little mark. No, he took. He had it like some kind of nurse or doctor come in and do like a blood work kind of thing. They took blood out of him on his arm. There's photos surfacing on the internet that shows it. And they put it on the, the deck, the bottom of the skateboard. And Tony is going to sell it. He's going to sell it. He's not going to sign it or anything like that. But just looking at the image, you know, it's it's kind of unsettling to know that if you do buy one of these, you have Tony Hawk's own DNA like on this skateboard which is it's a little weird for me but of course there are some of those those people who might buy it and be like "Ooh, maybe i'll be able to skate like tony hawk now no no not at all that's not the way this kind of thing turns out i mean tony hawk he's done he's still 53 years old you know we were talking a few months ago about how well he did at the x games you know making his return to competition at 53 years old and you know, there is no skateboarding popularity without this guy. You know, he's got the video games, he's got his own clothing company, etc., etc. But the fact that he's selling these skateboards that have his own blood in it, I'm sorry, but I would not be selling anything that had, you know, my blood or anything like that. You know, I wouldn't clip my fingernails or something like that put them in a bag and sell them on ebay or something like that if i was famous like that no i would not do that at all i wouldn't you know there's the usual charities of like you know shaving your head like i know rob gronkowski does the shave your head for the uh, kids cancer sort of thing but that's different that's different from taking out your own blood and putting it on a skateboard you know that's it's yeah i just get a little bit unsettled and obviously you know, Tony Hawk, he's an extreme man. He does extreme things. So this, I don't put it past him for doing it. Whatever kind of way he wants to sell, you know, make money for charity and stuff like that, you know, have at it. This is just a little unconventional way to do it. Something that I would not do. I would not take out my own blood, put it on like a baseball glove or or a basketball sock or something like that. I don't think I would do that. I think I'd just stick to, like, game-worn stuff or something like that, or signed pictures or stuff like that. I mean, Tony Hawk, the fact that you take out your own blood, put it on your own merchandise, has landed you into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this week's edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Make sure, as always, you go follow those pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All you got to do is put in the search bar, Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.